Amen. I heard a lot of amens for you, Marie. That was great. <laughs> we are so grateful to have Marie leading our Kids Rock ministry, Tiffany Singer leading our Noah's Ark ministry, because we put a, a great emphasis on the next generation here. So if you have children who are coming along and haven't uh, yet been to one of those ministries, if you don't have a church home, we'd invite you to come here on Sunday. They just do a fantastic job, I think. Well, welcome to our church on Christmas Eve. We are very honored that you would join us this evening at River Oaks. This is the culmination of the Advent season. The Advent season begins four Sundays prior to Christmas Eve. The word Advent comes from a Latin word meaning to come, and it's that time when historically Christians have celebrated the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. This afternoon, we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, about the Magi, or the wise men that came to greet Christ and to worship Him after He was born. You'll see on the screen a passage from the Gospel of Matthew 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I bet many of you have a manger seen somewhere at your house, don't you? Would you all raise your hand if you have a manger? And are there three wise men or three magi or three kings in there? Okay. The question I'd like to start with is who were the magi? Uh, the version of the Bible I just read, the English sta Standard Version, translates uh, the word, the Greek word magi or magoi, as wise men, and biblical scholars don't know for sure who they were. They've been called a learned class of people, um, advisors to kings. Some suggest they were astrologers. Others, uh, one commentator I read says there are those who understood dreams and visions. And of course, we have the well-known song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Many people think they were kings. But nowhere in the passage actually says they were kings, and nowhere in the passage says there were three of them. Just tells us of three of the gifts that they brought. In fact, the wise men or the magi weren't actually at the manger where Joseph and Mary were when Jesus was born, as we just read. 
going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So apparently they came sometime after the birth of Christ when Joseph and Mary were with Jesus in a house. There were evidently people of really high standing and influence, people of some power, because their very coming into Jerusalem caused quite a stir, so much so that even Herod heard about it, and he was troubled by it. Why was their coming so significant, though? In part, because they were apparently not Jewish. They'd come from a far country, from the east, the scripture says, to worship the king of the Jews. And this really points to the reality of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. People of all nations of the world coming to know him and worship him. And we see this at the very birth of Christ. Their coming might have been related to the words you see on the screen from the prophet Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 60, verse 3, we read, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Was this perhaps prophetically speaking of these magi, these wise men, who brought gold and frankincense and myrrh? Were they perhaps kings from other nations coming to worship the one true king, Jesus? Perhaps so. Their gifts, however, were especially significant, I think. Their, their gifts noted in the Gospel of Matthew, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they seem like unusual gifts to give to an infant child, don't they? Gold has been called throughout history the medal of kings. Archaeologists know when they find a tomb that's filled with gold that there was a person of great prominence there, possibly a person of royalty. Perhaps their gift was pointing to the fact that this was no mere child, but the one who was king of kings and lord of lords. Frankincense is an even more unusual gift. It's an aromatic, odorous gum-like substance that was used in temple worship, offered with offerings. The high priest would present offerings from the people with this incense or frankincense, as it's noted here. And perhaps this gift was pointing to the role of Jesus Christ one day as our great high priest, the one and the only one who could be the mediator, our representative before God through whom we can come with confidence before the throne of grace. Their third gift, I think, was the most unusual of all. Myrrh was a fragrant perfume, highly valuable, but used in embalming or in preparing people for death. The verse you see on the screen comes after the crucifixion and death of Jesus on the cross when we read that one of uh, those who had believed in him, a Pharisee actually named Nicodemus, who'd come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, and he and Joseph of Arimathea wrapped the body of Jesus in cloths with those spices because that was a Jewish, Jewish burial custom when you wanted to honor someone. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, pointing to the fact that this baby who would come as a king, who would become our great high priest, would actually come to die to die on a cross 
to pay for the sins of the world. He'd be the Lamb of God, the great substitute, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus. What can you and I learn from these magi and what they did? Three things I think we should note about them. Number one, they were seekers of God. I don't know how far they came. The, the Bible simply says they came from the east. One commentator uh, I read suggested they came from as much as a thousand miles away, which would be almost unbelievable in that time to travel so far. Wise men from the east, but they came seeking. They apparently had some guidance from God and they believed and they sought, they pursued. They believed what God was showing them. They were seekers. Secondly, they were worshipers. When they came to Jerusalem, they, they said, we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And when these kings or wise men, whoever these magi were, when they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, they fell down before this child and worshiped him. Now, that's an extraordinary thing. As I said, I don't think the Magi were, were Jewish, apparently non-Jews, but all Jews knew that no one, no one was to be worshipped except God alone. God and God only. Going all the way back to the teaching of Moses in the Ten Commandments, only the Lord your God is to be worshipped, and Him only shall you serve. But it's notable that Jesus throughout His ministry did accept worship. He knew that He was more than a mere man. He knew he was the Son of God, God the Son. And therefore, in his adult life, when people cried out, Hosanna, which means save us, he readily accepted their worship and even said, if these don't cry out, the rocks and trees will cry out. Because he actually was the one through whom all things were made and without whom nothing was made that has been made. They were seekers. They were worshipers. They even worshiped with their material gifts, which reminds us that our, our, our giving of material things to help the poor, the needy, to serve God's kingdom, this is an act of worship. And then thirdly, they were obedient to God. Herod said to the wise men very specifically, when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. But verse 12 of Matthew tells us, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. In other words, they deliberately disobeyed a decree from Herod in order to obey God, to obey God rather than Herod. A mark of great personal devotion to the Lord is obedience to the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my words. They did this at great personal risk. Herod was a murderous, murderous ruler. When he found he'd been outwitted by the Magi, we read in Matthew chapter 2, that he went and had all the male infants slaughtered under two years of age in hopes of wiping out this Messiah. In the meantime, the Lord told Joseph to take the baby Jesus and Mary and flee into Egypt. So the Magi, we don't know exactly who they were, but they were seekers of God. They were worshipers of God and they were obedient to God, even at significant personal risk. The Magi followed signs regarding the advent, the first advent of Jesus. 
We don't know how God spoke to them initially, but when they were, were near enough to be guided to Jerusalem, it was through a great star that they had seen. And then later, uh, by a dream, they were told not to return to Herod. They followed these God-given signs. Do you know that Jesus has given us even more clear signs about his second advent? As surely as his first advent was a reality, so surely shall his second coming be a reality. Jesus himself gave us these signs of his second coming. His followers asked him in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus had taught them he would come again. And so his disciples says, what are the signs? How are we going to know? And Jesus answered and he said this, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. He went on to say this gospel of the kingdom that will be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And he said in the gospel of Matthew chapter 24, the son of man, you'll see the son of man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. But he also told him, you don't know when it'll be. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so the question I'd like to raise this evening is how can you and I obey Jesus by being ready? How can we be prepared for his second advent, which is going to happen based on his own words? Well, taking a lesson from the Magi, I think we can do the same three things that we saw them do. Number one is to seek him. If you don't know for sure whether you are a Christian, and, I, and there, there are many people that would put themselves in that category and say, I believe in God, I don't know for sure whether I really am a Christian. Jesus gave a wonderful promise. He said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, and knock and the door will be open." Everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds. The Bible says that God is a rewarder of the one who diligently seeks him. And if you're not certain, I would direct you to something that is more certain than any sign we could ever have, and that is God's own word. To begin to, to simply read, for example, the Gospel of John and ask God, if you're true, if you're real, speak to me, show me. Begin to seek him. Secondly, worship him. Once the Magi found Jesus, they worshiped him. Once the Lord has found us and we have come to know him, we too are called to a life of worship. Worship through the study of his word, through prayer, through gathering with other believers and worshiping with them. I hope if you are a follower of Jesus, that 2023 will be a year for you of renewal in your worship of the true and living God. God desires people who worship him in spirit and truth. And then thirdly, we can be prepared for second advent by obedience, like the Magi. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my words. Our obedience to the Lord and what he tells us in his word is evidence of our love for him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my words. Jesus will come again. There will be a second advent. We don't know when, but his promise is clear and his command is to be ready. 
I've heard people say many, many times, what, what, what would you do if you knew Jesus would come tonight? Well, if I knew he'd come tonight, there's not a lot of time to really get ready or change that much. So I'd rather pose the question this way, and I think it's a, it, it's a, a, a question to which we can give a little better thought. What would I do if I knew Jesus would return on February 1st, 2023? That's a little time to, to, to make some changes if need be, right? Not much, but about six weeks. The first thing I'd say is God's not looking for you to work harder, try harder, do more. He, he, his first calling is to respond to what he's done for you. He didn't come to this earth to try to get you to work for him real hard or be a more religious person. He gave his life to provide forgiveness of sins because we could never obtain that by our own religious efforts. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But for those of us who are believers, how do we prepare? I mean, Jesus told his own disciples you should be ready, for you don't know the day or the hour. How do we as believers get ready? If you're like me, your, pro your mind probably goes first to things you need to do or maybe things you need to stop doing. But I want to give you a piece of advice, and I think it's based on Scripture. God is more interested in the person you are becoming in him than the work you are doing for him. Let me say it again. God's more interested in the person you're becoming, who you are, than all the work you're trying to do for him. God's more interested in your becoming patient and kind and forgiving and generous and compassionate and loving. God has a vision for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. And here's the vision. He states it in Romans 8 and verse 29, that you be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, you become like Jesus. You become more like Christ. And so as we look ahead to what God wants to do in preparation for a second advent, I would point you to that vision, that God be conforming you to the likeness of his son. Works are important. He's prepared good works for us to do. But I think his first vision is that we become more like Jesus, more like Christ. Jesus has come once. He is coming again. He came in his first advent to secure our salvation by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He will come in his second advent to bring those who truly know him into his eternal kingdom. And until that day, he's given us a way whereby we, we can visibly and tangibly celebrate what he's done for us on the cross. And we call it the Lord's Supper or communion. And we're going to celebrate that this evening. And you're all invited to participate if you'd like. No pressure whatsoever if you prefer not to. That is perfectly fine. And if you didn't get one of these little prepackaged cups in here, it's fine to go grab one from the tables in the back. And our ushers standing in the aisle will have a tray of them too. If you want to just lift your hand, 
they'll look, look to bring you one of those. But before we get to that point, I want to say a few words about the significance of what we're doing, and then we'll close and go to the candle lighting. The Apostle Paul wrote these words about the Lord's Supper. He wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't that a remarkable thing? You choose to take this bread and cup. You're essentially saying, I by faith receive the benefits of Jesus' death for myself. But we're warned not to do that insincerely or as a mere religious ritual but as a real matter of faith, because Paul gives a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in another worthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'd like to take a, a moment in prayer now just so we can do that and uh, examine ourselves and ask the Lord to, to show us if there's a, a sin we should confess or some way we should uh, express something to him in prayer before we take the Lord's Supper. So would you join me now as we pray? Father, how we thank you for the coming of Jesus and how we thank you for that time, that day, yet future when he will come again. And in this interim period, you've told us to do this in remembrance of you, so we're going to do it this evening. But Lord, I help, ask that you help us do it in the right way. And so, Father, would you speak to us now? Would you show us anything we should express before you? Perhaps you're here tonight and this is the time you'd like to really, for the first time, as far as you know, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray.